Okay. Hi. Before I came up here, Cass asked me if I was nervous. I don't do this very often. Well, the answer is, yeah, a little bit. Years ago, I was uh, in this really large church in Texas, and I knew the guy who was a pastor. His name was uh, Robert Naylor, and Dr. Naylor was known for being cantankerous. I saw him before this service, 3,000 people in this church in a televised service, and I said, Dr. Naylor, does it make you nervous to preach in, some, in front of so many people and have it televised? And he said, no. <coughs> People don't make me nervous, I make other people nervous. <laughs> I don't feel that way. <laughs> Talking about loneliness today, I think we all know what it's, be, what it's like to be lonely. It's a sadness. Uh, we, we feel like sometimes people has, have forgotten us or maybe misunderstood us. Some people define loneliness as being socially isolated, or at least feeling that way. Paul Tillich said, society created the word loneliness to express the pain of being alone, and it created the word solitude to express the glory of being alone. Heather and I are uh, dealing with empty nest right now. Hayden, our oldest was born in 1996, Ella in 1999. And so for all those years, 20 years, we had kids in our house. And now we don't. And Heather works night shift, and so a lot of times in the evening, I'm just kind of sitting there going, yeah, what do I do now? It's a little too quiet. It's lonely. You know, even the great people have, of faith have felt the pain of loneliness. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah was at the height of his prophetic work, and he just faced down the prophets of Baal in dramatic fashion. God came through with an outstanding miracle, and after it's over with, Queen Jezebel threatens him, and he freaks out and runs away. <laughs> he runs to a mountainside, and he felt so isolated and so depressed. And in chapter 19, in verse 4, he says, Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my people of long ago. <laughs> Just kill me, Lord. <laughs> Moses is another one who must have felt lonely for 40 years. He spent that time hiding in the desert after he murdered an Egyptian. He was probably lonely when he was leading the people in the wilderness for all those years and they were angry with him all the time. He must have felt isolated at times. He probably felt lonely when he married a black African woman and his brother and sister despised him because of her race. And God strongly objects to their racism, by the way. And he actually, and this is in Numbers chapter 12, he gives Moses' sister Miriam leprosy as punishment. <laughs> so I don't think God approves of that. David, one of the most powerful studies, uh, uh, stories of the Old Testament is when David is king over Israel. 
and his son Absalom rebels. And when Absalom betrays him and tries to take over the kingdom, he expresses, King David expresses how he feels in Psalm 102, verses 6 and 7. Actually, the whole psalm, but these verses, I think. I'm like a desert owl. I'm like an owl among destroyed buildings. I can't sleep. I've become like a bird alone on a roof. It's common to feel lonely even when we're surrounded by people. I think leaders often feel lonely because they feel like they can't share their troubles with people who work for them and they can't get to, they have to keep a safe distance emotionally because what happens if you have to discipline that person or fire them? And so that can be difficult too. And you know, it's interesting, we're really connected now. We're more connected than any generation has probably been in the past. Uh, connected technologically is that way, uh, anyway. So, you know, you see crowds of people and they're all looking at their cell phones, they're not talking to each other. In 2016, a Harris poll of 2,000 Americans found that 72% of us in the United States are lonely. And, you know, our online persona rarely reflects what's really going on in our lives. I've been on, uh, out of the country on sabbatical leave for a few months. Someone in the back said, I haven't seen you lately. And I said, well, that's because I haven't been around lately. But I was in Cambodia, and what you saw there, if you're following me on social media, is lots of pictures of beautiful places. I really didn't think people would want to listen to me talking about how lonely I was because I was in a tropical paradise. It's like, yeah, whatever. But I've never felt isolated in that way because I lived in a Cambodian neighborhood. The language there is Khmer, and I learned a little Khmer. And every conversation I had, assuming this person could speak any English, was a struggle to try to gesture and communicate in Khmer and whatever English they knew. I just wanted to talk to somebody. I talked to Tracy, I think you mentioned this last week, I talked to Tracy during that time. I just wanted somebody to be able to understand me. I felt so alone. And I was in a grocery store in the little town where I was, and all the way across the store, I heard a woman speaking to her children with an American accent, and I ran across the store to talk to her. <laughs> and she said, oh, my husband's waiting out in the van, so we all went out and we just sat and talked to each other for a long time. We were all glad just to speak our own language to each other. You know, it used to be that extended family and church, schools, or neighborhood organizations were kind of an anchor of connectedness for us. But we're a lot more mobile than we were 50 years ago. And we're often far away from family and friends. And I think that's especially true in Alaska. Even if we are close to our families, we have this tendency to replace that now with technology and social media. 
Some of you probably aren't lonely. But as many people are lonely as Harris Poll said, then there's a good number of you who are sitting here today. But if you aren't, or maybe it's an uncommon thing for you to be lonely, um, you probably know somebody who's lonesome. And if you need motivation to reach out to them, consider this. In the elderly, elderly who are isolated or feel isolated have a threefold greater risk of heart attack than elderly people who are not isolated. And in the general population, being lonely is equivalent to being, for health risk, of being morbidly obese or smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We yearn for connection. You gonna light one up now? (laughs) Many people go crazy trying to cope with loneliness. They do crazy things. I thought of this, Breaking Bad, speaking of crazy things. They turn to drugs, alcohol, or food to dampen the pain of rejection and social isolation. And so let's talk about solutions beyond Walter White and Jesse there. How do we break the cycle of loneliness? I could just say, trust God, but that's sort of like saying, I want you to drive from here to Los Angeles with no map, no GPS, and no directions. Just find it on your own. you probably never make it. So I want to get specific about the mechanics of how we get to point, from point A to point B in the process of breaking the cycle of loneliness. One is gratitude. Expressing gratitude unshackles us from toxic emotions. My brother has struggled with clinical depression. He became so depressed he couldn't work for a whole year and he collected disability insurance and he went to a psychiatrist during that time. And he said he was sitting there talking to his psychiatrist and he had done all the blood work and everything and he's on antidepressants and he's, he's paying this guy $300 an hour and he said the guy said, well, you know what you should do is you, could write, you should write down what you're grateful for on a regular basis. And he's thinking, I'm paying this guy $300 an hour to hear that. I could do that on my own. But he said he started doing it. And the psychiatrist actually recommended he set an alarm on his phone a couple of times a day, and he had to sit down and write down what he was grateful for. Uh, I think it's important for us, too, because... Um, I mean, even writing a a letter of appreciation, even if we don't mail it to somebody, still has a good effect. And good multiple studies have shown that the simple act of writing down what you're grateful for has a snowball effect. It gets stronger. It helps you more with time. And in traditional therapy, the effect tends to diminish with time. And then reaching out to others is also important. We need each other. And when we're lonely or depressed, it can be very difficult to get out of your house 
to get moving because all you want to do is curl up in a ball and put the comforter over your head and not talk to anybody. You want to isolate. You want to be a hermit. But if we can lean into that discomfort and reach out to others, it's a lot better. And we have some, actually have some options for you to do that here in the church to be acquainted, to get to know people on more than a superficial level. And that's through life groups. We have several going on in the church. There's a life group that meets in our house. And I told you my house is empty during the week. So on Wednesday, which is a group our life group meets, I get up in the morning and I say, yes, it's Wednesday. There are going to be people in my house today. Prayer partners can also be an important thing if you meet with somebody, even one-on-one. -on -one. Life groups and relationships, and I'm talking about deep relationships where you talk about more than the last football game, are an essential part of keeping us connected and staving off loneliness. And then serving others. Service has a similar effect to reaching out in terms of um, helping somebody else and having, and at the same time having empathy for them. And by service, I mean serving somebody with no possibility of getting anything in return. And volunteer at Beans Cafe. That's a great place to work here in Anchorage. Or Clare House or Covenant House, or visit the elderly who may be isolated because of their physical condition. It helps us get outside our own heads. It, it, it gives us pers perspective, and the simple act of reaching out to somebody, to serving somebody, can change their life. My dad tells a story, or told a story of in the early 1930s, when he was a little boy, they were driving across the Mojave Desert. They lived in Los Angeles at that time. I'm not sure where they were going. But they got off the road in their little Model A Ford and buried the thing up to the axles in the sand. And there was no way out. And they were sitting there wondering what to do. And a large truck pulled up. A guy got out with a tow chain, pulled him out of the sand. And when he got done, um, my grandfather said, well, thank you very much. Um, what do I owe you? And he said, well, you're Gene Ashley, right? My grandfather's name was William Eugene. Only his friends called him Gene. He said, yes, I'm Gene Ashley. He said, you don't owe me anything. Then he got in his truck and drove away. My dad always thought that was an angel. And if it was a person they knew, they never found out who it was. But he said that was key for him and letting him know that maybe God was present, that maybe God did care about him. And he actually gave his life to Christ a few years later. So you just never know. The next thing is how we occupy our minds. Beginning in 2010, there was there's something called a functional MRI, which uh, a, a more advanced form of imaging, and scientists are using this to find out how the human brain works. And it was a study of empathy that they did. And actually, in many studies afterwards, it's found the same thing. It showed that when one person tells a story, the people who are listening to it, the same parts of their brain light up. 
and their brain waves actually sync with each other. They perfectly sync. Isn't that interesting? Our brain waves sync when we're listening to a story. We feel the same thing the person is feeling. You would think that if I'm listening to a story and thinking about, you know, sometimes your mind can drift off, that the, the brain waves wouldn't sync, but they do. And this is speculation on my part, but I wonder if part of the reason that we become like the people we hang around with long-term is because if our brain waves are sinking all the time, maybe it changes the, the structure of our brain. I, I don't know. Maybe that's also part of the reasons that emotions can be contagious. Do you know any of those emotional vampires that walk in the room and the whole, the energy just goes out? You know, everybody was to watch, battery goes dead. Your phone dies. I know some of those folks. They got a black cloud over their head. Maybe that's why our brain waves sink. They like they hijack your brain waves. Does that sound like I'm into conspiracies? I don't know. <laughs> but neuroscience is finally catching up with what the Bible says. God designed the human brain and it can rewire itself. It can take, and what it does is they found that the human brain can takes on the form of whatever we focus our attention on. And so we can actually change the structure of our brain through mental effort. They started discovering this and working with stroke victims who had part of their body paralyzed. They could actually rewire their brain through intention to make that limb work again, even though the part of the brain that controlled it originally died. Now, of course, that ability can work for us or against us. And so if we listen to angry, uh, negative music, or we watch all the badness and filth that's available online, we make our minds into a honey bucket, essentially. The constant impure impact can have a long-term adverse outcome in our lives. And I'll tell you that sometimes when I get sad, I want to listen to sad country songs. Like he stopped loving her today, or if drinking don't kill me, your memory will. And I know I shouldn't do that because it just makes me more depressed. But we have a choice. Our first freedom is where we choose to place our mind. And we have a choice. Nobody can take away your ability to place your mind wherever you want to. Paul says, whatever is true, this is Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Heather calls this her think list. <laughs> and when, her, when she gets into unhealthy patterns of thinking, patterns of behavior. She has this list memorized that she can go to very quickly. And I asked her, what, what's, what are the main things on your think list? And she said, I think about goals in my life. What are the goals I have? I, I pray for my family. Or I meditate on a Bible passage or maybe a single verse. And you could add lots of other things to your think list. But you know, there are some people, a list like this is not very helpful. 
Sometimes we get into a downward spiral of loneliness and depression, and we need professional help. We need someone like a good counselor or a psychiatrist or other mental health professional. After I broke my neck in 2014, I had brain trauma from the blow of hitting the ground head first. And I had some physical damage to my brain, and I felt like I was on a roller coaster ride I couldn't get off of. I, it's like I could not control my emotions anymore. And I'd never experienced that before. I started going into a hole of depression I couldn't get out of. And finally, Heather, recognizing the change in my behavior, said, you need to go and get some help. The doctor put me on Lexapro, which is an antidepressant. I was on that for 10 months, and it helped me a great deal. And so, if you're in that place and you need help, nobody's going to condemn you here. You might actually find a great deal of support here in this church, and you might find you have a lot of company. So, uh, if you need my blessing to get help, there it is. Another thing is that, you know, we're pilgrims passing through this life. It's probably never going to be possible to completely eliminate feelings of loneliness. 1 Peter 2, 11, this is a J.B. Phillips translation. Uh, Paul says, I beg you, I'm sorry, Peter says, I beg you as those whom I love to live in this world as strangers and temporary residents. Temporary residents. If we follow Christ, this home, this world is not our home. We're passing through this life. We are temporary residents. And we're always going to have some sense of loneliness until we're directly in the presence of God. I think that's just part of the human condition. I think everybody is lonely at one time or other. The final kind of loneliness I think of is cosmic loneliness. This feeling can come from being alienated with God or alienated from God. Um, God designed us to relate to him. And the solution to that kind of loneliness is to place our confidence in Jesus. Because he's designed us to relate to him and we can only be at peace with God if we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 2, 17 and 18 says of Jesus, So he had to be made like people, fully human in every way. Then he could serve God as a kind and faithful high priest. And then he could pay for the sins of the people by dying for them. He himself suffered when he was tempted. Now he is able to help others who are being tempted. Jesus experienced every emotion common to life. We know that he was intensely lonely. Mark 14.50 tells us that these disciples all abandoned him in his hour of need. And Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. And Luke 22 verse 61 says that when Peter denied that he knew Jesus a third time, Jesus turned and Peter was across the courtyard, and he actually made eye contact with Peter. How devastating. And it says that Peter went out 
and sobbed. The Lord always gravitated to the outcasts, the downtrodden, and the lonely in society, maybe because he could identify with being lonely. He went to parties with tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. The proper religious people of that day couldn't understand why he was hanging around with those folks. He touched untouchable people. He healed people with leprosy, people that normal folks wouldn't even go near. And we see also that he spoke to the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4. This is a woman who had been divorced multiple times, was living with a man. She was drawing water at midday when normal people wouldn't be doing that because she was an outcast. And Jesus extended mercy and healing and salvation to her. Placing our confidence in Christ is the beginning point of healing and reconciliation. And all through the New Testament, we see the consistent heart of God in the ministry of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus paid for our sins. And in an ultimate expression of loneliness, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because all the sin of the world was laid on him. And God the Father turned his head. Dallas Willard, you've heard pastor mention a few times. Lost his mother when he was three years old. His mother died. And he said that at nighttime, he was intensely lonely when it was time for bed. And he said that, he would go to his dad and ask his dad if he could sleep with him. So he would get in the bed. And he said, it wasn't enough that, my dad, that I was in bed with my dad. He had to turn his face toward me. And then when I knew his face was turning toward me, I could finally rest. It was such a relief in my life in 1985 when I turned my life over to Christ and was for the first time at peace with God. God turned his face toward me, and he'll do the same for you. Let's pray. Lord, you keep the electrons orbiting around the atoms. You spoke the stars into existence. Everything that is came from you. And we, Lord, we know that it's not too small a thing for you to heal us, to deal with our loneliness. Lord, I know that there are people who are carrying that burden here. I feel it. We pray that you would minister to us by your Holy Spirit. We pray especially for those folks that may need even more help than just the fellowship of a friend. Lord, we pray that you would help them to have the courage to come forward and get help. In Jesus' name, amen.